if we do not invest in a more sustainable future. And then we talk about social sustainability, so beneficial for more people and much more equal. Ecological sustainability, so better for the planet. And of course, economically sustainable as well that you will be out of business in five to ten years. And then it's not out of business from tourism, then it's out of business of being an attractive city to live and to work and to create. Welcome to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to explore the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet, servicing their most inspiring solutions. I'm David Archer, Editorial Manager at Destination Think, and I'm recording from the village of Dajingit, British Columbia, which is in Haida Gwaii, the territory of the Haida Nation. And I'm Sarah Raymond Dubois, Associate Creative Director at Destination Think. I'm recording from Seattle, Washington on Coast Salish land, specifically that of the Duwamish, Suquamish, Stiligwamish, and Muckleshoot people. On this podcast, we look at the role of travel and choose to highlight destinations that are global leaders. We talk to the changemakers who are addressing regenerative travel through action in their communities and often from the bottom up. Of course, we're actively looking for the best examples of efforts to regenerate economies, communities, and ecosystems. So be sure to reach out if you have a story to share with us. Last episode, we heard from Hedvig Sietzma, the Climate Policy Director at KLM, and this time... We're going to speak with Hirta Udo at Amsterdam and Partners. That's an organization that holds a role that is in part similar to many DMOs, and it has been evolving into a destination management organization recently. So welcome to Amsterdam, Sarah. Why, thank you, David. And David, you have not been to Amsterdam, right? That's correct. I have not. Well, what do you think of when you think of Amsterdam? Hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is probably the canals, And that has a lot to do with the photos that I see from people like yourself who have visited there. But I also have admired, like many people do, the the attitude towards cycling and bicycles, just the sheer number of people that are using bikes to get around and also the infrastructure, like how the bicycles connect with train systems and those big bicycle traffic circles. I don't know what you call that, (laughs) but I always like seeing that. And I also kind of think about crowds just because of the work that we do at Destination Think and we think about how tourism affects places and Amsterdam's been one of those spots that's sometimes in a sticky situation with crowding. Yeah, and your your bicycle on crowd chat is reminding me of all of the etiquette around bicycles and commuting on bicycles that might not <laughs> come as natural to somebody who's not spent a lot of time there. So as a exclusive pedestrian most of the time when I was in Amsterdam (laughs) that came into play a few times so what have you heard about Amsterdam lately well that again has a lot to do with our work in particular I've heard about a campaign called stay away which is put on by Amsterdam and partners and that's one that made some waves in the last couple of months because it has (laughs) told people to stay away if they don't behave a certain way and we're here to talk a bit about that. I also see a lot of headlines recently, like Amsterdam's council has banned cruise ships from the city center. And that city center is one of those very crowded spots often. The airport has also crossed my radar. 
So Schiphol Airport limits flights to prevent emissions. I don't know the details on that, but it is, I believe, a world first for an airport to limit flights for that reason. And they've also come up with some ideas like banning private jets, starting to put into practice some of the principles we've been talking about with sustainability and kind of dealing with the impact of travel related to the environment. Yeah, I think Amsterdam was, for me, probably one of the places I remember hearing about a few years ago with issues related to Airbnb and the impact on the local community and making sure that residents are still able to to live within the city center and make that city what it is too. Yeah, that's right. Airbnb, that's a story that's resonating in so many different places, including here in Canada. I saw some numbers recently about the number of visitors coming to Amsterdam or coming to the Netherlands, excuse me, and how that crowding is likely to to go on in some way because MBTC shares estimates that the number of incoming visitors to the Netherlands could grow by 50% from 18 million in 2017 to 29 million in 2030. And this number of international visitors could go up to 42 million by 2030 if the growth enjoyed in the past few years keeps progressing exponentially. Uh, that number or that estimation comes before COVID, but nonetheless, uh, it's a it's a pretty steep growth curve, I'd say. So those are some of the issues that we're grappling with around Netherlands and Amsterdam uh, in this conversation. So there's lots to learn. Let's go listen in on Destination Think CEO Rodney Payne with Hirta Udo, director at Amsterdam and Partners. Uh, could you start just by telling me your name, what you do, and where we are? Yes. My name is Geerte Udo, and I'm the director of Amsterdam and Partners. Can you tell me about the city we're in? Yes. We're in Amsterdam at the moment, and Amsterdam and Partners works for the city of Amsterdam and for 32 other municipalities in the surrounding area of Amsterdam. We focus on three target groups, residents, businesses, including conventions, startups, and investors, and on visitors, business visitors and leisure visitors. And what we do in particular is that we improve the reputation of the metropolitan area for all these three different target groups, and we guide residents, visitors, and business alike through the known, but also, and maybe much more, the unknown parts of our whole area. You don't just focus on tourists, and that's not always the case in organizations like yours. Can you tell me about how you see those three groups, residents, visitors, and businesses, and where there's alignment and where there's friction? The reason why we focus on these three different target groups is because we think at the end, next to all the beautiful architecture, culture, nature, and all the other assets that cities in general have, the people make the city what it is. And if you go back in history, people settled at places where they could work. So cities and destinations that have a city element are built around places where people live and work. And if you do it well, visitors are interested to see what you're doing and also benefit or enjoy what you have. So that is why we think you should always have an integrated or a holistic approach and the people that are active in your city. And these are the residents, the businesses, the visitors, 
leisure and business visitors. And that's why we luckily talk to all these three target groups. I think the rest of the world probably thinks you are quite lucky that you've been doing that a long time because I think a lot of other places have focused a lot on getting visitors to help businesses and not knowing or not thinking about what is the impact for residents and places go on a journey of their own where you eventually hit some kind of limits that results in something else you need to consider, right? Environmentally, socially, or from an infrastructure perspective. What are some of the challenges that you experience of thinking about all three of those stakeholder groups? Yeah, what I think is that up till 2015, most of the tourism industry partners also added benefit to cities and destinations for residents as well. We should not forget that 30% of the public transport in Amsterdam is financed by visitors. And a huge part of our large, high-quality cultural offer is also financed by visitors, Dutch visitors, international visitors, etc. So I think the tourism industry used to have a sort of logical contribution to the livability, the improvement of the livability of the residents. I think after 2015, when we saw the enormous growth because accommodation prices dumped, the traffic prices or the prices for travel went down a lot, and the general economic income rose, that was a growth that nobody predicted. And that's where we found for the first time that we can have a negative effect of this tourism industry as well. And yes, in, in facing these challenges and try to change it, to go back actually to the phrase that it should be beneficial always for residents of visitor economy, we think we are in the lucky position that we talk to these three target groups. But it starts with the question, what is a healthy and a beneficial visitor economy that is beneficial for residents, but you're still open as a city to welcome visitors that also want to enjoy and get enriched by everything we have on offer. Can you give me a high-level explanation of your strategy, the visitor economy vision for 2035? Yeah, that is the awkward thing that the COVID pandemic gave us the time and space to step back. And if I talk about weeds, Amsterdam and partners, we have 700 partners that are governmental partners, but also cultural partners, knowledge institution, of course, business partners, but also residents. And in a time of COVID, we could step back and say, okay, maybe we discussed a bit too much upfront to the pandemic on what we do not want. We do not want stack parties that just waste our city and don't contribute anything to the livability. We do not want huge group that block our streets or a bicycle pass. But we said, can we step back and maybe freeze the 80% that we actually agree on what we do want as an inclusive and sustainable metropolitan area with a healthy visitor economy? And that's why we started a co-creation session. Our media and politics, they almost force us into discussing and debating and fighting over what we disagree on. But if you step back, you can focus on the 80% that you actually, actually do agree on. And everybody knew, if you're a private partner, cultural institution, knowledge institution, or a residence, that if we do not invest in a more sustainable future, and then we talk about social sustainability, so beneficial for more people and much more equal, 
ecological sustainability, so better for the planet, and of course economically sustainable as well, that you will be out of business in five to ten years. And then it's not out of business from tourism, then it's out of business of being an attractive city to live and to work and to recreate. And if you step back with all these groups and you say, where do we start? We start, are you working to create a better future for the next generation in this metropolitan area? Everybody says yes. And from there, you have a common goal to work on. It's very refreshing to hear about finding alignment in a time where people are getting more and more polarized. It is the biggest challenge to keep in contact with everybody, people that do agree and disagree, and keep in this discussion. Because again, the outer world forces us to polarize. Yeah, that's so true. You have a very what I would say is very confident statement that I want to read to you and see what your reaction is. Visitors, companies, conferences, and talent are welcome if they add value to the city and its residents and do not cause disturbances or disruptions. I yeah. love it. Where did that come from? Well, because like I said, from that holistic perspective, we have to give space to each other. But if you go another way back, why do people tolerate each other and prefer to live in groups instead of living alone. That is what cities also are. They're living organisms. So everybody is welcome as long as you contribute something to our life. It would be awkward to say, no, visitors are welcome despite the fact that they harm our livability. How do we facilitate residents to live here with a high quality standard business to do business, but not only to make money and profit for the city without giving anything in return. And that is the powerful part that we see because we believe it's really possible to have a healthy and sustainable visitor economy where you welcome visitors that do add value to your destination. Were people ready for that conversation? I think every conversation that tips the point of transition or big change is a difficult one because I think it's not within human beings to be very open and happy about structural changes that really will have impact on your personal role and on your business. So easy is not the right word. I think if you take enough time, again, to see where you do agree, I do agree that a hotel needs to have business. I do not agree on the fact that short-term focus is more beneficial for the city than a long-term focus and also not for the company. So I'm not asking them to change and lose visitors. It's not true. Visitors will come to Amsterdam because we are attractive. And I think we can be front-runner by showing the world how you can do it in a sustainable and inclusive way with respect for the residents. And that is, if you make that shift, it's an easier one. And again, there is always 5 to 10% in business. They say to me, I don't care. It's not my vision. I just want to earn money tomorrow more. And I wait for long legislation. And if they forbid it, then I will stop. We're not a fairy that goes around them spreading magic. I, I only think if you look into change, there's always 20% who's really making the change happen. 60% is in the middle. Well, like maybe 20% is at the back. Go stop it, stop it, block it. We invest in 20 and the 60%, not in the last 21.
they will jump on the carriage or they will fall off. It's fine. We're not saying that we have the truth. We only think if we have the right conversation with the right people and making the small steps, you will realize a change. And hopefully it's the change that we predict. Do you think organizations like yours in places like this around the world can have influence? Absolutely. But it depends really big time how your business is organized. So if you're dependent on only private income from the hotel industry, it's really harder to make this change because a lot of these changes are owned by huge investors with stakeholders that want to make money in five years and then sell the company. That's much harder than in our case because we have the cultural institutions, the knowledge institutions, the governmental parts, that we only have 6% of our partners is from the tourism industry. So it's easier to have this conversation because then we can focus on all these people in tourism industry that are already up runners because that is the good thing of this time. It's not that we're preaching and people don't listen. Everybody knows it's everywhere. It's in your daily life. It's in your family. A lot of people have kids as well. And the awareness that we really have to make the change now, not in tourism, but in our lives to do a difference is much louder this voice. So that makes it easier to also rethink their business. And especially for business people, if you can show better business in the future, they're open. And if you say, like, if we're a sustainable destination that's inclusive and beneficial for residents, you will have brilliant business in 10 years. If we kill the soul of our city, because the domination of visitors will be too hard and will be visitors that do not add value, you will be out of business because you got laws and legislation that will forbid more and more. I love it. Can you tell me about how you think about attracting the right visitor and identifying the right visitor? Yeah, <laughs> that is always a hard discussion as well because we're not a quality police. We're not saying you're right, you're wrong. We're an open and tolerant city. And that's why we say everybody is welcome to the city if you add something to the livability or the quality of life of residents. So it's very diverse. It's not about rich visitors. Also young visitors that are here to get inspired by the architecture or culture or the atmosphere in town, we would love to welcome them. It's only if you have respect for the city and preferably do things that locals would do because that is the easiest line to support the livability of residents. So if you only go to the red light district and jump in a coffee shop, and drink tequilas at a bar for a low budget, and you never met in your 48-hour Dutch person, you're probably not adding a lot for us as residents. If you just go here, and when you're for the first time, of course you go to the canals, but maybe you go to a bar where locals go, or a restaurant that you support, and we have high-quality cuisine nowadays because we have also a lot of people that visit our town. If it would only depend on the locals, half of the restaurant should be closed. So that is where it's easy. So it's not about discussing who owns the right on quality. It's for us, logical thinking, where do you add value? And again, a hotel, they have bats for visitors. That's logical. But you can do a lot in the social component. What do you do with your employees? Do you have social programs? Do you help to welcome people that have difficulties finding a job? What do you do with refugees? How sustainable is your kitchen? Which kind of fruit and products and vegetables you use? 
do you have a bar that's maybe also interesting for residents or you don't care at all? So there are on every level, there are possibilities to look how you can make it as beneficial as possible also for residents. And that's why we said, talk about respectful visitors or whatever name you gave. It's not a stamp your quality or not. It's really rethink what is the added value of this guest for our destination. Your recent stay away campaign got some attention. Can you tell me a little bit about the campaign and (laughs) the reaction? It's a very interesting experiment, the stay away campaign. Why we call it an experiment is because three, no, five years ago, I guess, we launched the first Enjoy and Respect campaign. And that was really launched from the theory of communication that if you try to influence behavior, you have to give people another option. We found out after testing what the results of the campaign was that a lot of people got the message. Like, oh, I was never aware that it was such a nuisance for the residents. But it didn't change anything in the behavior. So then we said, okay, we have to get another kind of campaign. We struggled a lot with it because we know at the end the behavior only changes if you reorganize the old city center. If you have the offer we have nowadays, you will have the guests that we have nowadays. Everybody knows that. Also, City Hall knows. Also, the people that are in tourism business know. But 80-85% of our tourism partners, they really dislike this group of guests. You don't want them in your hotel either. So it starts with the place changing and the place making there. We're working on it, but that will take 5, 10, 15 years. So we have to do something of communication. So we said, okay, we know that the Stay Away campaign that was called Enjoying Respect before had some effect, but not the effect we want. And then in co-creation with City Hall, we concluded that it's actually better to do the campaign from City Hall, not as a campaign to influence behavior, but in a messaging campaign. Just saying enough is enough. We're fed up with it. If this is your only goal, stay away. And we used the knowledge from communication that we know this target audience specific they are not very interested in moral aspects. They are really, you can hit them in their heart or their feelings or thoughts by having things that are important for them. And that is money. And that is the future. And that is your job. Mm. So that is why it's built. The good thing about the campaign is that because it's so bold, it went worldwide. That is the good part of being true to your DNA as a city. We're a very open and tolerant, but also a very pragmatic city. So this is it. Of course, we had a lot of partners in tourism industry saying, what? This is very unpolite. Now everybody will stay away. We will lose conventions. The respected visitor will stay away. I said, it's not true. People that organize interesting conventions at the Rye, they don't care that drunken stack parties are not welcome anymore. And that is what you see. We got a lot of positive reactions from other cities. Saying, finally, Prague, Barcelona, they all have the same issues. They say, wow, how honest, because that's actually what we always think but don't dare to communicate. Why do I call it an experiment? I'm not sure if it's the right word, but if it really has effect on this specific target group that they will come less, we will measure that in within three and six months. I think it's really powerful to hear you talk about the sort of policy changes within the city 
in combination with communication messaging. And I think we often try to do one without the other. But that is always why we see place branding and place marketing without connection with place making. It's an empty shell. It's the same if you talk about sustainability, if our hotels are not changing, if our industry is not changing, if our canal boats are not turning electric. How can I tell this story to other people that we're a sustainable metropolitan area? It's impossible. So you always have, as the destination organization, be in contact with the people that build your metropolitan area. It's a really good example of how one person or one organization can lead. And we were talking about it in conferences around the world. And I'm sure it was daunting and a bit nerve-wracking launching that campaign. But it causes everyone to think differently, both locally and around the world. And one little thing like that can have a big ripple effect. Another example that we've seen is a conversation around limiting visitors. Can you talk about that? What City Hall said is that in the future, if you look into the data, the United Nations predicts that in 2050, two-thirds of the world population will live in metropolitan cities. We know people that live in cities visit cities. So if the world economy keeps on growing, we know that we will host much more visitors. So the city hall said, we have to prepare now. What do we do? Because it's a different issue. The misbehavement and the nuisance is one issue. That's a certain target group. The other issue that we have is that we are an old city center with narrow streets, and there's a fight for public space between residents, people that work here, people visit here. And you should organize the space but then you have to look into the rhythms of the space and also the people. So that's why City Hall said we have to take measurements to be prepared on how to manage quantity. The most difficult part is that nobody has the answer. There's no city that knows the answer. We're lucky that we're in the city DNA organization and I'm in the board to discuss these topics. Like how can you be an open and tolerant city but also manage your quantity so that it doesn't harm the livability of residents. I'm not sure if putting a target on a number, 18 million people, is the good focus. But that's the decision of City Hall that they made. The positive part is it puts pressure on the topic. We have to start discussing because 18 million or 20 million is maybe doable, but if it becomes 30, 40, 50 and we do not reorganize our city different, then the pressure is becoming too heavy. So the good thing is that the pressure puts it on topic. What I dislike is the focus on the number. Because if we have 18 million people from England having one big stack party, for me it's way too much. If we have 18 million visitors that also go into the metropolitan area that have been here before, so they prefer to go to the hidden gems and not the mainstream, then it's easy done. And even if they come in different seasons, then it's easy done and there's maybe some space for growth. It's interesting to get to a point where you can have a dialogue about limits and what's the optimal level of visitation. Your national government has climate legislation with a target that's enshrined in law for 2030. And the city has a target of 55% emission reductions by 2030. How does the tourism sector respond to that? 
we have luckily in our renewed visitor economy vision already said that we have to do a lot of things to make it more ecological sustainable, the whole tourism industry. And to start, the most sustainable way of sustainable travel is not travel. That's the easiest. Some people disagree because if you're at home, you use a lot of <laughs> energy and fuels and you waste a lot as well. But that's disputable. What we say is make small steps and big visions. So no plastic straws in the restaurants and cafes is an easy step. Seeing like how can we use with the whole group more green energy is an easy step to make. How to say, okay, we have to get rid of every car, taxi that is not electric is a long step because that goes along with what we expect from residents. And of course, we want to get a lower car amount in the city center that will help. What we can do from communication is support people that are traveling within Europe. Take the train. Why not? It's three and a half hours from Amsterdam Central Station to Paris. That's perfect. That's the same time amount that you waste if you go from here to Schiphol and wait and board and up and down and controls, etc. You have an easy ride. It's the same with London. It's the same. So we really support these kind of initiatives. We promote it. We do also with conference visitors. We say, if you live by, and live by is a flight of one and a half hours and less, and you have a direct connection or maybe one support, do it because you will help us all in Europe to make it a more sustainable Europe for you as a resident. But we have to make the change together. It's not a change we can make in Amsterdam nor in the Netherlands. We have to do it as Europe. Are you worried about sustainability? Yes, I'm worried about social and ecological sustainability because I think we're in a huge time of change. I think we don't realize really what's happening in general as a person, as a resident of Amsterdam, as a person that works here, but also from visitor economy perspective. If you see already how temperatures are rising, this will have a huge influx on how people travel around the world. There will be destinations that are way too hot. There will be destinations that are not accessible because the danger on floods is too big. And that is not the, the main issue. The main issue is that the people will not live there anymore. And then you got a huge refugee problem. And it's not a problem, but it's a challenge that we have to face, that our places in the world will be livable and places will not be. That's what I'm worried about. But also there's social sustainability. I think capitalism brought us a lot but it overwhelmed other parts. And if we want to fight social disbalance, so make sure that everybody who's born on this earth has a chance to become who he, she, or it is, we have to really make a huge change. And that is the only way how we as human species will survive, I think. Am I negative? No. I see a lot of young people. And they're facing the real challenges. I always say, me as a person who's almost 50, I have to support with my brains, with my knowledge, with my power, with my money, whatever. But they're building the future. And I see an enormous energy to change it. So I do believe that we can change. And I hope we all believe because that generates the positive power. What do you see as tourism's place in a future that is livable? I think we have to have a vision and be honest. So I think as long as we as human beings exist, we do travel and we're curious. So we will keep traveling anyway, as long as it's possible. 
So I think you should keep that in mind. How we do travel, how fast we travel, how far we travel, with which mobility access, that should be debatable. For us, for instance, as a destination, it's much more interesting nowadays, again, to welcome everybody that wants to visit us in a respectful way. But we do not focus anymore on big groups from China that are just two hours in the city and move on because they do Europe in five days. They should do what they do. But for us as a city, it doesn't add any value. What does add value is a lot of European visitors because they've been here before. And what happens with people that have been here before, one part will do the same every time they come back. They're just risk averse. They don't want to do anything else because what they did last time was so great. They do it again. Then at least they know for sure it's great. These people you should guide in a way of timing. Tell them like, I know you will go on the canal boat and to the Van Gogh Museum, but maybe you should go to the canal boat in the morning and the museum in the afternoon. Because if we see data, everybody goes to culture in the morning and then on the canal boat in the afternoon. That's human behavior. We all say we want to have a unique experience, but look in the data. It's not. That's one part. So you can guide them, not get them off the beaten track because they're not interested, but in rhythms of time. This other part, huge group of European travelers, they love to get guided off the beaten track because they have been in Amsterdam. They have seen the canals and they want to discover more. There you can really seduce them to go to the hidden gems. It only works if demand and offer are matched. That is the basic golden line. It only works if there is a logical reason to go. If there's nothing to happening or nothing happening or nothing to visit, nobody will go there. Thank you for sitting down with us today. Thank you. It's a conversation more people need to be having. Yeah. I think so too. I appreciate the openness. This has been Travel Beyond, presented by Destination Think. And you just heard from Hirto Udo, director at Amsterdam & Partners. We'll include links to more resources on the blog for this episode at destinationthink.com. My co-host and co-producer is Sarah Raymond Dubois. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. We would like to thank NBTC, as always, for their support in creating this podcast season. And you can help more people find this show by subscribing and by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Next time, we'll take a trip up to Friesland on the north coast and explore how circular economies are reshaping the visitor experience, resident lifestyle, and business opportunities in the region. See you then.